evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Half Ashed. My name is Craig Schneider. That gentleman, 1,850 miles southeast of me, is none other than Senor Keep Fisher. We are coming to you live for the 157th time this 16th day of December, 2016. And Kip, do you know what day today is? Yeah, it's December 16th. That's what you just said. Wrong! It's, <laughs> it's Rogue One Day. Oh, not here. Started two days ago here. What? Yeah. Uh, well, well, it, it's Rogue One Day today, so I'm celebrating in America. <laughs> so how's that? My son went and saw it this afternoon, actually. I have not seen it yet. You know what I did? What'd you do? I worked my hiney off and left work at 2 o'clock to catch a late movie, or an early movie. <laughs> I busted tail. I I had my first uh, morning appointment was 65 miles away from my office. Uh, I I don't think I've ever driven more inappropriately for a work meeting in my life. But I got home on time. I did my work, got everything going, and uh, had popcorn for lunch. It was perfect. You, You weren't driving inappropriately for a work meeting. It just happened to be that's where you were going at the time. That's not the reason. <laughs> no, believe it or not, my wife calls me a grandpa at 35. I, uh, <laughs> I, I am a man who enjoys stopping to smell the, the flowers or smell the roses, whatever that saying is. I, uh, I soak it in. I don't, uh, I don't drive quick anymore, usually. I don't either because I'm always driving in the city or up the side of a mountain, so there's nowhere to really get up much speed. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I uh, I had a, a good day today, and it's shaping up to finish pretty darn well, too. I don't know about you, but cool. uh, I'm in a yeah. fantastic mood. Well, let me hear it. What's what's the good news? Uh, I'm just in a fantastic mood. I got to see Rogue One today. Oh, okay. There's no other good news. That's good enough. <laughs> No, it was uh, it, it was fun. I don't, man. I can't even tell you the last movie that I went to. Um, I was that guy that, you know, before, well, certainly before marriage, um, but even before kids, I would go to, uh, I'd go to a movie probably once a week. It's that's always been one of my big hobbies. Um, and before marriage, I would go to two or three a week. I'd go at night. Um, after a cigar store, after I'd spent time with L and uh, would just go alone. Sometimes I just love going to see him. And then, you know, kids change priorities in both time as well as finances. And uh, I bet I've been to two movies this year, three movies this year. Um, and uh, so it's fun when I can get out and go, especially fun when I, hell, I, I mean, I don't really go to a cigar store much anymore. It's, it's, odd that I take time to do things specifically for myself or to go places specifically for myself. So this was, uh, this was doubly cool. That is great cool. Time. Yeah. I have seen two movies since we've been in this country, 18 months now. And that oh, yeah? is about normal for me over the past 15 years. Well, you saw star Wars, didn't you? I did last year. Or episode seven. Yeah. And, um, uh, that latest Captain America movie, the oh yeah, can't remember um, the name. Civil War. Civil War. Yeah, I was, I needed to go see Doctor Strange, but I didn't make it. I don't think it's still playing here. 
Yeah, I uh, I had wanted to see that too. I don't know. I don't really know very many people who did go see it though. Yeah. Oh well. Oh, uh, no, you know they no. they tell me this is a cigar podcast though. <laughs> well, Nick Fury used to smoke cigars in the comic books. <laughs> there's a there's a tie-in, and in a galaxy far far away, they might have tobacco. You never know. Yeah, it just may be blue or something. <laughs> well, that would be crazy if cigars were like yellow and red and green or something wacko like that, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Well, hey, why don't you uh, why don't you share a little bit about your day, your week? It's been three weeks since we've recorded, and I'm uh, hogging all the airtime talking about some movie. Yeah, it has. It was kind of a quiet day um, for me, actually. The kids were... <laughs> out of school at a half day today. They're actually done with school until January the 10th, I think. Whoa! So they got like a three-week break. Wow. So I was home, and I had an opportunity I didn't take to go have lunch, just an appreciation lunch at the orphanage we work at, but I didn't make it over there because I was waiting on them to get home. And then and by the time I all got here, it was a little too late to head out, so I didn't make it today. Hmm. We had a gathering for another uh, a family we know here. Hmm. Actually, Jose Ortiz, was, he's a former uh, Major League Baseball player. He played in the States, I think. Yeah, don't quote me. I can't remember. I think for the Angels for a few years, and then he played in Japan for a few. And now he's a scout. And they're moving back to California. So we had a gathering with them tonight. And whatever you call it, well wishing off. <laughs> That's the technical term. The <laughs> uh, boy, if, uh, if I didn't know any better, I'd say that you off somebody. <laughs> no, I'm trying to think of a word I can't remember. The, the, you send somebody off. Hubbub and well wishes. I I don't know. It's like a whatever it's called. A, a ship's uh, when you dedicate a ship. What is that called? Is that the word you're looking for? I don't know. We've already spent uh, entirely too much time. Hey, I hear this is it. a cigar podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <here. laughs> I guess I could at least talk maybe a little bit about what we're smoking. Dang it! What is that word? Um. It'll come to you tonight. You'll be sleeping. Wake up. Well, you never yeah. sleep, so you'll wake, wake up, up and three o'clock in the me. morning. Be sitting up trying to wonder what this word is. Well, back to the issue at hand. We are smoking the La Flor Dominicana TAA forty seventh. I'm showing it to those of you that see the video can see an unfocused picture of a cigar, and those who are listening on the audio won't see anything. <laughs> Now, is that focused <laughs> if you have bad eyes? Oh, you know, that's a good question. I have bad eyes, but there we go. Kind of focused. Yeah, that totally focused. Um, the old Bob McDuffie trick of putting the hand on the camera. That works very well. This was the 2015 uh, TAA limited special release that La Florida Minicana put out. And it had... Uh, <laughs> a little bit of a different selection process that I think Craig didn't put much stock in at the time. 
Oh, I loved it. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> We're at the gathering, at the meeting of the uh, Tobacco Association of America. The 80 or so uh, member retailers were, were there and were presented with three different cigars, or at least three different Vitolas. It actually could have been the same blend. I don't know, it's been a while now. But uh, I know there were at least three different Vitolas. I don't remember if they were all the same blend. And told basically to vote with their orders, and whichever cigar was had the most orders would be the one that went into production, um, and, which is kind of a sticking point I'll get to in just a second. And so this one is what made it into production. It's a five and a half by 52 Robusto Extra. Uh, has an Ecuador and Habano wrapper over Nicaraguan binder and Dominican and Nicaraguan filler mix. And of course, like all the TAA cigars, was only available through the member retailers and ran about nine bucks a stick at the time. But back to the selection process. I think one of the main sticking points you had was the fact that this meeting took place in mid-April and they took a vote and said that the winning cigar is what would go into production, yet they shipped the cigar before the end of May, <laughs> which seems like those cigars may have already been made at the time the, the voting was taking place. One would imagine. You'd think, yeah. Yeah. You know, I... I uh... I still get riled up about this. <laughs> I can see it like oozing out of you. Yeah, I, I mean, unless it was like a, and I what you know, I wasn't at the the TAA um, uh, convention, so who knows? Unless it was like a, a live count, like we're we're watching it, you know, on a screen. Option A, option B, option C, seventy two, forty seven, eighty three. I don't think that this was really going the way that they said. You know, it's it's a way to drum up attention. It's a way to make people interested in what it is that uh, uh, that um, uh, in what it is that they're going to be putting out without having to really do any marketing. You make the retailers want it. You make the retailers interested in selling it because they say, "Hey, everybody wants this cigar. It's one that we should pick up." then miraculously they want that cigar because it's one everybody wants to pick up. It's They're creating their own demand. I think it's ingenious, but I also think that it's a little uh, condescending. <laughs> well, you got to remember, too, that there were some number of people that voted for the other two. And the way this worked was everybody placed orders for what they wanted. And if I ordered 10 boxes of... Cigar C and Cigar A was the winner. Then I'm going to get Cigar A when they show up. <laughs> you got to think it, it could be off-putting to some people. Oh, there's no doubt about it. It could be off-putting to some people. But I I, uh, I don't know. It, uh, it was clearly something that um, they were aware of and uh, that was somewhat successful for them. I haven't heard a lot of blowback. In fact, I think I was the only one that I heard that uh, – really balked at this didn't really hear very many other people so i didn't either i actually i didn't hear just a whole lot about it and some of that's the fact that it is a taa cigar and, and that's True. not at all a negative thing it's just pretty limited there's only 70 some odd 
retailers that are in that association that would have had this cigar to sell anyway. This was actually one of the last cigars I bought before we moved that I stuck in the package to do as a show cigar. Oh, really? This was one of yours that you bought? Yeah. Huh. Well, I uh, I think it's pretty well documented. I'm not the world's biggest LFD um, fan in terms of their blends, but almost as equally documented how much I respect their methods, their progressive nature in terms of marketing, um, as well as, uh, quite frankly, their dedication. Um at their, their what I believe to be their main farm um, where they're growing their tobacco, I had the pleasure to visit in, uh, gosh, 2011? Wow. I think January of 2011 I was there. Um, and they do just some incredibly different and I don't even know if cutting edge is the right word, but um, ballsy. Uh, methods in order to produce the results that they get in terms of strength and uh, richness in their tobacco. Um, they, they do things that I've just never heard of. They are uh, some of the front runners, at least in my understanding, they're some of the front runners in the European market. They, they really concentrate. Um, well, they truly concentrate on the European market. Uh, and you hear other manufacturers going, and there's no doubt about the fact that uh, there are presence uh, of non-Cuban cigars in Europe, but I think La Flor Dominicana is one of the brands that is is probably more highly represented. It's, uh, I'd say within the top five without question and possibly the top three. Yeah, I, I know they do have a, a significant presence there. I think Lito Gomez is a Spaniard, right? Yeah, her. So, I mean, he has a connection to the continent. He's not just strictly a Miami guy, although he lived in Miami for a very long time. I saw, um, and I, obviously with the, the news of the week in the cigar industry that uh, LFD was awarded the number one cigar of the year from Cigar Aficionado with their Andalusian uh, bull, I believe. Andalusian, Andalusian. Mm-hmm. Um, that winning cigar of the year with uh, CA, they have gotten a lot of recognition um about that and a lot of uh, names that aren't necessarily brought up have been this week. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, uh, I know it's something that we're going to talk about in a little bit, but it really just seems like this is a company that it's not seeing a lot of missteps. Um, someone talked about uh, how they've kind of grown from, <laughs> what do they say? Being held up in a jewelry store, to their first cigar, Los Libertadores, to now all of a sudden CA's number one, that it's been a hell of a ride over the last 15 years, um, probably even more than that, 20 years. Yeah, I think it's 21, 22 years since they started with that original line. And uh, they're making a lot of – they're still making a lot of headway. There's no doubt about that. So this is an interesting cigar that while I have to kind of, you know, thumb my nose at them a little bit, for uh, what I perceive to be the condescension of this, this selection here. Um, I'll, I'll give it a fair shake and see if it uh, overpowers me like so many of theirs do or if it's something that 
leaves a bit of an impression. Could I hadn't said that in a long time. No, you haven't said that in a long time. I feel bad. <laughs> are, okay, you, uh, are you uh, getting anything off this uh, Toro here? Toro? Yeah, five and a half, 52. Okay. Right. I guess I'll allow that. Right. Uh, thank you, sir. <laughs> hey, I believe you have appointed me the resident Vitola expert here on this show. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Well, five and a half fifty-two. Let's call that a Toro, because a six by fifty-two would be a Cannonazzo. Okay, I thought Cannonazzo was shorter. I didn't realize that was six inches long. Mm. No, I'm just making another generic Robusto Toro Cannonazzo differentiation there, and then six and a half would be the Sublime. Yeah, might as well just make it up as you go along. All cigar makers do that now, anyway. Well, well, yeah. You want to talk to me about legitimate sizes? This ain't one of them, but <laughs> but uh, it's close to a Siglo Six, but I don't think it is. I think a Siglo Six is five and five eighths. But we don't need to. We don't need to go down that road. Well, uh, far as what I'm getting on it, 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 I mentioned to you before we were recording, or I think before, that I had had my son smell the foot before I lit it. And he said it was sweet to him, and it, and it actually is kind of sweet in flavor to me, um, almost with with a really diluted retro hells, almost even kind of coconutty. Um, but it's the typical or traditional kind of La Flor Dominicana sweetness. I, I get that a lot. Sometimes that'll border on. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't want to say cocoa because it's not really cocoa. But if if it were, it would be very sweetened cocoa. <laughs> huh. and, and I get that a lot with their cigars, where it seems very sweet, and that fools me because a lot of times the sweeter cigars don't strike me as being very potent. And a lot of the Florida Minicana cigars are potent, at least for my taste, and they'll whip me uh, if I'm not paying close attention. And I don't recall uh, any notes I made on the first of these I smoked. So we'll see if this one sneaks up on me or not. You know, I have to say here, my initial thoughts on this cigar is that it reminds me of, (laughs) it reminds me of a cup of coffee that you have put a considerable amount of half and half in. It still tastes like coffee. It still has the flavor, but it has this this veil that's kind of taking away its its what I would say is the essence of this cigar. And I've talked about that in the past uh, um, in regard to one of the reasons why I love cigars in the Corona down to a Lancero ring gauge range that thirty eight forty two. Uh, you know, maybe even getting up to a 43 um, or 44 sometimes. But that that range is kind of the sweet spot for me because I feel like it's generally not watered down. It's generally not um, just stuffed full with a bunch of Velado um, to take up ring gauge rather than enhance the flavor. And this is a cigar to me that feels as if it's, I don't want to say suffering, but it's it's experiencing that. I like 
my cigars to be more approachable. I like my cigars to be a little softer, to not have hard flavors, to not be too dark, to not be so um, full-bodied that I'm tasting them for 36 hours afterwards. This cigar does not seem overly palate-polluting. It does not seem incredibly strong. It is not overly spicy, but I feel like that is in there. And this, as a Lancero, is a cigar that would kick your teeth in. But the fact that it's, what, from a 38 to 52, what is that, uh, 14, 64th, so 7, 30 seconds, 3 16ths. It's, you know, almost almost um, a quarter inch wider than That's a 38. That's a lot of numbers you just threw around. <laughs> it's, it's almost a quarter inch wider in diameter than a Lancero. I think that it is so jam-packed with tobacco that is taking away from what a lot of people would say is the LFD essence. Um, you can still taste it, but I feel like this isn't what the cigar was intended to be. Um, you know, and I'm a half an inch in. It's not bothering me so much because um, I want that intensity. It's bothering me because I feel like they've kind of telegraphed what they've done here. This is a stronger blend, stronger tobacco that they've kind of watered down with something to still make it taste good, but to change it in a way that you're you're really you're really castrating it, I think, possibly. So we'll see how it goes on. Yeah, and that actually what you just described is is as much a part of my personal distaste for sixty ring and bigger uh, as much as the size is that the overwhelming majority of those that I've tried have felt or tasted watered down. And, and that leads me to feel like I'm starved for, for the flavor. Like I just can't get it out and, and over puffing it and just screwing up the whole cigar. Hmm. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how this one goes. If we do screw it up, if our, well, my more, uh, Largo tempo, tempo, and you're more uh, uh, speedy tempo. I'm, I'll leave the uh, musical terms to Mike Stewart. If that uh, has a different impact on how these cigars perform in terms of uh, being overpuffed or overheated, we'll see. I actually uh, smoke faster than you, and I lit far earlier than you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm well into this cigar. I think I lit. I don't know. When did we start recording? Eight forty-five. I don't know, but I don't. I, I already lit before you went and got your cigar. Oh wow! Okay, that was eight thirty. That's forty-five minutes ago that you did. Well, I guess this is going a lot slower than I thought then, because I'm still still got four and a quarter inches, maybe. Well, I'm uh, I enjoy the cigar for the flavors that I get and the fact that it's not kicking my teeth in. I mean, how many more times can I use that saying? Um, but that being said, we'll see if uh, that enjoyment continues or if uh, it gets pushed to the back by how I believe that it may be uh, overshadowed a touch. So we'll see. Cool. <laughs> Just as a side note, in passing, if you my screen goes haywire and you hear me loudly profaning myself and everything around me. My computer is sitting on a very 
precariously perched domino table that is prone to fall. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, wild idea. Why don't you put it on your lap like you normally do? Because the table was here. <laughs> well, it's there. So if it falls apart, I mean, what am I going to do? I got to put it on there. It's comfy. Yeah, and it's it's less hot this way. I don't have a 120-degree computer in my crotch. Well, that I can certainly understand. I'm sure it's uh, a heck of a lot better for the computer, too, to not be sitting in you know, sweatpants or something that provides insulation. Shorts, sweatpants, 80-something <laughs> degrees. Jeez, that's crazy. No, it's not. It's 75. feels like 81. I just checked before the show because the chat room was doing a temperature check around the planet. <laughs> We're just a bunch of old dudes talking about the weather. <laughs> uh well, shall we uh, shall we bust in the news, my man? Yeah, we better, because we're like 11.15 here already. Dang. Yeah, well, we already kind of hinted at this and, and have let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> we, we didn't throw a spoiler alert that uh, the much-anticipated and much-maligned Cigar Aficionado Top 25 list has made its rounds. It's out and about, and... Uh, of course, if you follow the list every year, you probably already know. And if you didn't, Greg's already told you that the La Flor Dominicana Andalusian Bull uh, came in at number one this year. Um, I have not smoked this cigar, and I actually did not even get to their booth at the show this year. So I don't know just a ton about it. I, you know, After I saw that it had made the list, I kind of skimmed around looking for some people's thoughts about it. But Outside of that, I don't know just a great deal yet. Uh, it's not on the shelf here, despite the fact that it's made locally. It's not on a shelf at the, the store that I can't even say frequent anymore, the store that I make it in, out to. Um, but I did read a couple of things that piqued my interest with this cigar. Um, mainly, and this is all anecdotal, and me reading not even uh, cigar media magazines blogs and just people's comments and and social media uh, feed kind of stuff about this cigar and the thing that caught my attention was how many times i had seen someone say it's not characteristic of the typical uh, la flor dominicana portfolio it's not uh, overly strong uh, in terms of its its strength its nicotine strength um and I saw a few notes that, that attributed more spice to it maybe than I would have expected from, from the Florida Dominicana. So, you know, if I get a chance, I may track these down at some point. I'm sure they're available somewhere in this country. It's just a matter of finding them. Um, but that heavy dose of nicotine is one of the things that kind of keeps me at arm's length from, from this, this brand outside of a couple lines and really one line in particular, the Airbender. I, I tend to really like those in that very small little Corona size. I think they call Poderoso, which is funny because that means powerful. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, for whatever reason, that line doesn't hit me as a strong cigar. Certainly not as strong as I've heard other people refer to it. But 
Um, that's my that's my favorite of their lines, and my favorite Vitola is the uh, Torpedo in that line. It is approachable. It's flavorful. It is not watered down. It's balanced and and just just suave. I love that cigar. Hmm, I don't know that I've ever smoked it. I may have to give that a whirl at some point. So I, I say all that just to say that I'd love to hear some uh, what some of our listeners think about it because I'm making an assumption that some number of you have already smoked it because uh, it's been in the market for a little bit. This was you know, coming out late summer. Uh, it's on the shelves. So I'd like to hear what uh, Johnny on the street has to say about it, the uh, average Joe more so than Cigar Aficionado or Cigar Journal even or whoever. Um, I like to know what the real world thinks. Uh, however, it, it does carry a little bit of a price tag. It's about $15 U.S. for a six-and-a-half-inch Figurado. Um, oh, and I didn't tell the blend details. It, it has a Corojo Seed Ecuadorian Habano wrapper, uh, Dominican Criollo 98 uh, binder, and which is becoming every day. Every time I talk to somebody in the Dominican cigar world, that that leaf is just uh, all this can be right now. It's showing up everywhere. Everybody's yeah. Dominican Criollo 98. Um, and then also in the filler, they had what, an undisclosed or undefined hybrid leaf of some type or another and some Palo de Oro. Um, is that the one you don't care for, Palo de Oro? No, I love Palo de Oro. Mm. Palo de Oro is an outlawed um, strain of tobacco in Cuba mm-hmm. that there has for decades been rumored to be one lone farm that grew Palo de Oro. And if I'm, if I'm remembering my names correctly, the owner of the La Casa de Labano in Grand Cayman, uh, Valerio Cornale, he has essentially developed a relationship with the gentleman who grows this tobacco and has cigars made with that tobacco um, solely for him. Um, the hallmark of Palo de Oro in Cuba is that it is supposed to be the strongest of the tobacco uh, that's grown on the island and just incredibly flavorful. I have had Pelo d'Oro, first-generation Pelo d'Oro, grown in Nicaragua, and it was not overly strong whatsoever. It was supposedly from this location in Cuba, uh, and it was grown at La Estrella. Um, and it's terrifically flavorful. I look forward to a number of the cigars uh, that are going to be on the market to probably in the next year or so with Peladoro. Um, this is one of them. I know that, no, I don't know. I believe that uh, Pete's La Verte, his newest La Verte, has some Pelo in it. Um, and I think there's one more cigar that is, one more manufacturer is just coming out with a, a Pelo blend. I so. think Aging Room Boutique Blends yes, has some Aging coming up. You're correct. Yeah. Excellent. So why why is it an outlawed tobacco in Cuba? It is so susceptible to um, outbreak. Uh, and if, if um, an outbreak of, I believe it's Black Shank. Um, I believe it's Black Shank. If that 
go, grows rampant in the tobacco growing region, you now all of a sudden don't have this, um, what is it, herd vaccination? Is that the mentality, I believe? Yeah. We'll go with that. If so many of your, um, if so many of your subjects are vaccinated or are able to be immune to this, those who are not immune to it um, don't really have to worry about getting the virus um, or bacteria. I don't know exactly what it is because there's none of it around because so many people are immune to it, it can't flourish. Well, now all of a sudden, if uh, an entire farm goes down with Blackshank um, and that starts spreading, well, then the one or two plants per row uh, on this um, uh, Vega and that Vega, and all of a sudden this one gets hit really hard, um, now it just becomes an epidemic. Uh, I'm 99% sure it's Blackshank. Okay, I, I knew none of that. You know, that makes puts me another thought in my mind to bring us off on a rabbit trail. But, Shoot. Uh, nobody's talking about it in the news or publicly, but just driving around the Santiago area, there are so many tobacco fields that are not producing this year uh, that either were not planted because of so much rain or were planted and then the rain just destroyed it. And, and I'm wondering what the real impact's going to be because nobody's, nobody's saying anything about it, but I know this has to be a pretty significant loss this year, but I'm just not hearing anything. I've heard it for other crops. Uh, the plantains took a beating this year and hmm. bananas and that kind of thing. But, I don't know. I mean, I can see it with my eyes, but I'm not, I've not read an article. I'm not seeing any kind of news story from any of the, the bigger cigar media outlets or anything. I don't, I don't know. It's all anecdotal just for me, you know, my eyes, but I, I got to think there's a, uh, it'll be more than a blip on the radar in the next few years. Cause it had to be a pretty significant loss for this year's crop. Well, do you think that with um, a lot of the, the common varietals that are available now and methods and even some of the money that's in uh, that's available to these guys, um, I mean, could it just be that they're going to put in a later crop since so early was so devastated? I mean, it's maybe. just that simple? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it typically – I'm planting here early in October and we're now midway through December and there's not really, I mean, there's tobacco fields, but it's not, it, it's, it ain't normal. Um, there's one set of fields that we drive by every week that never was planted this year. They came out and prepared that field twice. They worked it over and turned it over and got rid of all the, the vegetation and got it ready for planting and then nothing happened and all the weeds and grass grew back up and they came out and did it all again, cleared the field, cleared the grass, and nothing ever was planted. Hmm. Well, I, if I had to guess, I'd say that the October attempt being that it's still uh, during the rainy season, I, I think that that October attempt is um, just, 
that kind of hail mary to see if you can get two functional crops per season. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't that be the reason to do it? Not so much that you want to be able to harvest in January or you want to be able to cure in January. You want to see if you can get two out there, right? Yeah, I mean, I know that's done, but I don't know. We at least it seems to be drying up now. Maybe they will get another shot at it. My aunt lives down uh, right by the Illinois River in Central Illinois. Um, she lives by the Illinois River in Central Michigan. Um, <laughs> bad joke. Uh, there are farmers down there that that have land right in. I'll call it the floodplain of the river, and it's supposed to be the most fertile, the most rich, the highest yielding, best soil that these farmers have the opportunity to grow their crop in. Um, And there's a term for it, which I'm not recalling right now, but they try to plant it when it seems it's okay, when it seems relatively dry, it's a good condition. And it's essentially just that, that Hail Mary that, hey, if this goes, it's going to pay for the next 10 years of attempts to try to make it because it's, it's land that's just so perfect for this that it'll benefit us for such a long period of time, even if we have nine failures in the next decade, you know? Um, I, I just kind of, I'm assuming that this could be analogous to that theory, but um, I don't know. October seems pretty darn early to do it. It's, you know, you still got a month and a half of hurricane season left for Pete's sake. Yeah. Well, the Santiago area is pretty well protected from hurricanes most of the time. Well, wow. mountains on three sides and the other side, it has to come all the way across the country to get here. That doesn't mean it never happens, but it, it's, it's one of the rarer spots to take a hit. Maybe you don't lose your, your, uh, curing barns, but I got to imagine you get a lot of water, even if it's 70 degree winds instead of 110 degree winds. It's going to do some major damage with the flooding. I mean, you saw it this year in the middle of yeah, October. Absolutely. I mean, everything that falls on this side of the crest of the mountain has to come through these two it's cup two go rivers. that way, right? Yeah. Anywho, I suppose we'll see in the weeks to come. Yeah, our, our agronomy lesson now concluded, folks. <laughs> and we taught nothing. <laughs> but hey, what else do you expect? Eh, I guess that's right on par for us. Yeah, yeah halfway. Uh, what else we brought we up the here? topic, but didn't educate. Yeah, that's kind of how we wrote. What <laughs> else do we have here? I'm pouring myself another rum and soda. So, well, we got a, a couple or three legislative things, which really are the only big things happening right at the moment in the cigar world. Um, first and foremost is basically just an announcement. There's not a, uh, a deep story to dig into, but, uh, back in, several months ago, October, some strikes a, a memory that fires a neuron somewhere in my head that CRA, IPCPR and CAA jointly filed a lawsuit, uh, against the uh, FDA, uh, for the, um, reach into the tobacco world that uh, that many don't believe the FDA has the authority for, but they are doing nonetheless. Um, they filed this suit 
and the FDA, of course, filed a response as they are required to do. And the response didn't really say much of anything except, you know, either they denied outright the uh, allegation uh, against those standards or made a, a claim that these are statements. This is not really, you, you guys are not saying anything that's fixable and just, just dismissed them. Um, but anyway, a little bit of progress has been made only in the sense that there's now a date attached to it, a court date. And it's not until July 28th of next year. So we've still got several months before this is even going to make it into the courts. Uh, so that's the only update. The only movement that's happened there is the uh, assignment of a date. Uh, Jumping along to the the next little tidbit. Well, now, um, let me let me stop you before we move along there completely. But okay. um, did you see um, Skip and Frank's podcast go up this weekend I or saw, this week? Excuse me. I saw that it was up. I've not watched it or listened. I caught just a small amount of it. I did not have the time when I noticed it was live. They uh, live broadcast it on Facebook, which I thought was a really genius idea considering the topics that they were discussing. Um, but, but my main question is, is what's the, what's the thought here? Is the additional seven months in a week a positive thing? Or is this seven months in a week, is it now delaying what we need to get started on to the point where, Hey, it, you know, it's not uncommon for a, a court case to take a while. We don't need to push this off even longer because then we're essentially going to be caught with our pants down. If this thing takes a significant period of time before we have any resolution. I mean, is this, have you heard anything in regard to, to that? I, I'm curious. No, I don't, I don't know how it's being seen or, or perceived or, uh, analyzed in, in terms of whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't think it's a surprise. I mean, I don't think anybody expected this to end up in court in January. No, no, I, I, I'm not saying that that's the case. I'm just curious if this result, the fact that they have to wait seven months is if someone has an opinion on that, that has been shared a professional opinion. I don't no, know. I, I haven't come across anything. Hmm. Um, okay. I did see recently that the FDA is going to uh, go ahead and collect the user fees right off the bat rather than waiting for what was expected into next year before that happened. So I think well, by the end, end of this month, a lot of folks are going to have to pay a lot of money they may not have planned for until very recently. Hmm. Yeah, that's not exactly the best situation, but... yeah. Well, we got actually got a couple more legislative things. One is uh, a letter that showed up to a handful of uh, tobacco companies. The only one that has anything to do, uh, the only one I believe has anything to do with topics we normally would discuss is Swisher uh, because they have at times had their own premium cigar division. And now, of course, they're the owners of Drew Estate. Uh, they bought them a year and a half ago or so. Um, and this letter came from the FDA and 
basically made allegations or has alleged that these companies are falsely marketing cigarettes as little cigars. Um, which I don't know if it's a surprise to anybody else, but certainly not a surprise to me because I watched very similar things unfold in Florida and I knew that day was coming for some of these companies. Um, and I put in the notes that even despite my typical displeasure with the FDA's assertion of the long arm of what they believe the law on their side, uh, not only am I not surprised, I'm kind of on board with this because uh, the, I'm not saying Swisher nor any other specific company did this, but I watched it happen in Florida uh, the, where the loopholes were wrangled and suddenly when new taxation went in place, uh, roll your own tobacco was suddenly all the packaging was changed exact same tobacco, but they called it pipe tobacco because they didn't have to pay the same taxes as if they called it cigarette tobacco as it was and has always been. And so the state of Florida decided to close that loophole by charging the same rate taxes on pipe tobacco, which yeah. literally from one day to the next, it quite literally doubled the retail price of pipe tobacco overnight. And that irritated the crap out of me because I was a big fan of pipe tobacco at the time. And, and so I, I get it. I mean, if this is the case, if these are cigarettes, call them cigarettes, you know, and what happened in Florida, not only with the pipe tobacco, there's several makers of similar products just changed the color of the paper wrap they put on it from white to brown and called them little cigars. It's still the same shredded reconstituted tobacco sheet inside. It's not, not even leaf tobacco. They're freaking cigarettes, <laughs> many of them. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know specifically what's in these little cigars that Swisher makes or the other several companies that receive the letter. I can make some assumptions. There's not, you know, whole leaf, or not whole leaf, not uh, long filler cigars. I, I, you know, you can look at them. The little cardboard box looks a heck of a lot like a cigarette box. The, the, the plastic wrap on it looks a heck of a lot like a cigarette packaging yeah if it, 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 it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck it's probably a duck <laughs> I, I, I can't disagree with anything you're saying and, and it's an interesting perspective really because it's it's this idea of yeah i get it but there's uh you're screwing over the rest of us mentality there that's hard to overlook yeah yeah, and that's 100%. That was not a, that's not my personal analysis. That This was announced, hey, these guys are taking advantage of this loophole in Florida tax law. So instead of figuring out how to fix that, we're just going to charge tax on all this crap, <laughs> all the pipe tobacco. <laughs> Man, I was mad. But, the you know, these things have uh, similar components, very similar structure similar purchasing habits by consumers, uh, uh, very similar packaging. Uh, what else did I put on there? You know, all these things are very much like cigarettes. I, I'm, I, w I actually am surprised it's taken this many years before somebody's got around to writing this letter. It's, uh, 
Well, yeah, yeah, I can't, uh, I can't disagree with what you're saying there, at all. So I guess we'll see what happens. So, and Swisher, of course, has gone on record as disagreeing. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Same people, by the way, who publicly came out on the record against all of CRA's proposed legislation in the past to exempt premiums of cars. Why well, they, they don't want that differentiation. No, not at all. You know, if, 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 um, you know, some of their competition and I'll use that word loosely, uh, has an advantage gained from this, then they don't want anyone to have it. Mm -hmm. it, it, it has, I don't know. It has all the, all the markings of, uh, uh, the big rich kid who's spoiled and complains and whines because somebody else has an opportunity to have something that he doesn't. Um, yeah. and I have no respect for that, but you know, I, I don't mean to make this a, uh, poop on Swisher debate. I mean, oh, we've no, had that absolutely not. Enough, but Swisher is one of the companies that got this letter. Frankly, I think there's probably 25 other companies that are doing what, what has been alleged that Swisher's doing. I don't, I, I don't know what's in these things. I don't know. I've never smoked them. I don't know anything about them. But I can make some assumptions based on what I've seen in the past. We shall see. Yes, we shall. Oh, what else we got here? Oh, uh, Cigar Coop published a uh, story this week. And I think a few other folks by this point have. He was the first one that I saw. Because um, he's in North Carolina. And this actually involves one of his legislators. Uh, that... Uh, Mark Meadows, who is a Republican uh, House of representative in the House of Representatives and from North Carolina, has put together a list. He's part of a, a caucus, uh, a group of congressmen that are proactively trying to maybe push 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 through some reduced governmental control. And they uh, they knew that our incoming president has an agenda to undo some of the things that have been put together over the past eight years. <laughs> and so Mark Meadows kind of compiled this list and, and has presented it of over 200 regulations that uh, this caucus of uh, congressmen believe should be repealed and undone. Um, one of those is just what we're talking about. The FDA's claim on regulating tobacco products, products specifically, premium cigars, uh, which believe it or not, is what we do occasionally talk about on half hash. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so you know, there are notes on here and I read, I'll put a link to Coop's article in the notes when I publish a show. Um, but they specifically talk about the fear of where we're at now, the fear of, of this pre review process that tobacco products will be forced to, to go through. Um, that that now the industry is looking at in, in an industry of small little guys that don't necessarily have the proceeds to even keep a product in the market, and the some of the fears about what's going to qualify as a new tobacco product are coming true. It's already uh, in one case gone through the court system, and even changes in 
uh, not in packaging in terms of color bands or that kind of thing, but in package quantities signifies a new tobacco product. So if this product was in the market before 2000, February of 2007 in a box of 15, but after that it was changed to a box of 25, that box of 25 is not a grandfathered product. Box of 15 would be, so it would, it, it would disqualify a lot of things that are in the market today that have changed box sizes since then. Uh, and I don't know if they can revert back to that and just scoot around or not, but the, the little things that trigger something being deemed a new tobacco product is, is kind of growing and it's going to make things even more complicated. Hmm. Well, I guess all that to say it's a big freaking mess. <laughs> I was just going to say, well, I'd say that that's a, as, uh, as much as that can be clarified, because I don't even know if it can be. <laughs> it can't be reduced too much. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You understand what I'm saying with a cigar, my man? It can't be reduced too much. Yeah, my, my wife has to translate a lot of times for some people. They don't understand me. <laughs> uh, I have a harder time understanding you when you don't have a cigar in your mouth and you're talking <laughs> quietly. <laughs> Thankfully, that's a small percentage of the time. <laughs> well, moving on to some brighter things and non-legislatively. Got a car coming by. No problemo. I uh, I think we all understand at this point. Um, the 20th anniversary Opus X has landed. And even though it's now 21 years since the Opus was released. Kind of kind of 22, really, but we'll go with 21 since the official release. But uh, that shouldn't surprise anybody. Went a has a has a history of doing things just a little after trying to iron out all the last details before something actually goes into the marketplace. <laughs> um, but there's been a flood of retailers just zapping pictures of these things as fast as they can and getting them on uh, the social media feeds, Twitter, Facebook, and whatnot. Um, I, I uh, let's see. It looks like we're looking at four different sizes that that have actually made it into production. The Believe, which is five and three quarters by 52. The Father and Son, which is six and a quarter by 49. God's Whisper, which is six and a half by 56. And Power of a Dream at six and three eighths by 52. And I got to wonder, just I, I hadn't noticed this before, but just looking at those sizes, six and a quarter by 49 and six and three eighths by 52 are pretty dang close. There's not just a great deal of difference. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I believe I do. Three rings and an eighth of an inch doesn't seem like a great deal of difference. But, hey, not my circus, not my monkeys. They came in 20 count boxes. MSRP ran from 17 to 20 bucks a, stig a, a cigar. A cigar. Um, I actually have a couple of these from the 2014 CFC, although at that time they didn't have the beautiful blue packaging that they now carry. Um, 
I didn't pull mine out. And look, I think they had a regular Opus band. It could actually have been a forbidden band. That I don't recall. But I do remember they had a secondary band that was just plain little black band that said Hublot on it, the the watch that make that Opus, the watch company that makes the... Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the Opus branded... Uh, yeah, the $50,000 watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and I don't know why they put those Hublot bands on there, right? aside from the fact that at that time they were really working tight with the with that company. Um, but what was strange, I actually got two different sizes of this, and I need to go measure them because I think one of them is not any of these sizes, um, but I'll check them out sometime this week because it may be time to pull those out and smoke them. Um, and, and when they gave those out, they said nothing. It, it was the final night at the the meal that they always have, the banquet, and they were handed out and just said, these are 20th anniversary opus, period. <laughs> there was nothing else about them. So I don't know what, I know nothing. And you know they don't talk about what's in their cigars. Oh, I know. Yeah, never. But I, I do have to say, despite my firm background of listening to Bob McDuffie beat into people's heads that you can't put out a successful cigar with blue paint and blue bands or blue packaging. This one I looks really, freaking gorgeous, doesn't it? I, I love it. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's freaking gorgeous. It is. It, it really is. I like it. Actually, I saw far more blue this year at the show than I think I ever have ever. And it's not even close. Well, you, Bob's pretty much out of the business now. E.P. Carrillo had all kinds of blues and purples in their new packaging. And I think uh, Eroa, uh, they re, re, repackaged their existing brands. I don't think they launched anything new this year, but there was some blue in there. Um, but we, we, Christy was with me taking pictures for, for all that. And even she said, I can't believe how much blue is in all this packaging this year. Hmm. So I guess we'll see if Bob was right in the next year or two. Oh, yeah, I'd uh, I'd imagine we would. Not that legislation might have anything to do with some of those blue bands being taken off the market anyway. Well, yeah, I, I suppose that's uh, valid. See. Well, you have comments for the show. <laughs> hey, I uh, I don't know if you heard. Yep. Did did you uh did you hear that Fidel Castro died? I, I did. Like moments after we ended our last show, as soon as I popped off. <laughs> I, while uh, we while we were broadcasting live, this all um, hit the airwaves and made it through the vast reaches of the interwebs that Fidel Castro had died. So I we get, didn't uh, have a chance to talk about it last time. I, I get um like uh, AP news reports, the news flashes on my phone. Uh-huh. And um, I came out of the, the uh, of my studio, went upstairs, took my shirt off, was getting ready to go jump in the shower. And my phone, uh, I saw that my phone had a notification from five minutes previous. I mean, it was probably after our show ended, but um, when we were still talking to each other, uh, mm-hmm. before we disconnected and I looked at it and it said that Fidel Castro had passed away and I turned to Ellie 
and I dropped my shirt that smelled like cigar and I ran into my bedroom and I real quick jumped in the shower. I washed off because she'll kick my ass if I don't shower after I have a cigar um, when I'm in the house. And I, I binge watched every single news station that I could get on our TV until I pretty much passed out at about three o'clock in the morning. I was obsessed with the, the Miami celebrations, the stories of the, the reiterations of his, his failed coup attempts in the fifties, his, the, not just anticipation, but the, the expectations that were being shared by all these so-called experts uh, as to what was, what was to come. Um, and I was, I was inspired. I was struck. I, I, I don't think that there are, what would you say? Outside of Cuba, 1% of the educated population thinks that Fidel Castro was a positive leader. Would you, would you say that that's probably a, a valid, uh, uh, a valid percentage? I can't imagine there's very many people who do. Yeah. Not just a whole ton outside of hipsters wearing the t-shirts that know nothing about it. Yeah. That's, that's a whole other story. Uh, hipsters and athletes. Um, I, I, I don't think you're going to find very many people that think that Fidel Castro was a just leader. But what I do think that we're reminded of, if we can objectively read upon his life, the stories that are shared about him, the, the legacy that you can look at this tiny, poor island nation and realize that it has the lowest infant mortality rate in its region. It has one of the highest levels of education uh, on the whole per citizens. It's, there are these little, oh, oh, an incredible healthcare, an incredible agronomy uh, study. Some of the best um, agricultural studies in the world are in Cuba. All these benefits are, are really have, have grown out of that regime. I think that what we need to do is we need to objectively review what that nation has accomplished and not without tarnish, not through rose colored glasses, but realize that this tyrant, this murderer did things that did benefit his people. They were wholly damned. Essentially they, that is a nation uh, where I don't think anybody's going to say it's not a third world country. I don't think anyone's going to say that they are more prosperous now than in 1959 or 1958. And I don't think that anyone's going to look at that, that regime and say the, the Castro regime, which was turned over the Fidel Castro regime, which was turned over to Raul in 2008, six, I don't remember uh, exactly. I would go uh, with eight or a little after. I don't think it was that any further back. If it wasn't any further back than 08, then it was 08. Um, I'm I'm 99% sure it wasn't later than 08. Um, well, I forgot the point I was making with that, that statement. But um, the positives, the benefits 
that those citizens have enjoyed on a, a very few um, metrics are, are just staggering. And it's, it's funny. I, I heard a, an anecdotal story about how Fidel at one point, um, I believe after the, um, the USSR had fallen, had come out and had one of his rousing three-hour speeches where he had, where we had commented that there would be a new coffee maker for every citizen in the country who wanted one. Um, and then the, the kind of colloquial buff to that was, okay, but we're not going to have any coffee to put in it. You know, the, this idea of, of all these amazing ideas and these interesting perspectives, and then the reality that strikes as to uh, you only get so far on a hope and a prayer um, and fear mongering and hatred and murder and, and essentially stifling the goodwill and the intentions and the, the ingenuity of your people. Um, and even with that, that suffocating presence, you look at the people of Cuba and say that they may perhaps be second to none in terms of what they've been able to achieve with what they actually have. Um, there's an unbelievable documentary about the Cuban auto industry that the, the black market auto, uh, um, uh, I don't even know what to call it. The people that essentially ensure that the country's automobiles, which are <laughs> almost 60 years outdated in many cases, are 60 years um, uh, post leaving the factory, whatever the term is that I want to use that many are still running and many have replacement brakes and different engines and have now become this, this Frankenstein's monster of a machine that is functioning and it's functioning merely because those people have willed it and learned how to make it function. It's, it's such an interesting topic to have, to, to have a conversation about when you can, share the good and the bad and not be colored by the inevitable hatred and, and angst that so many have towards Fidel. I, I, I think that there's, there's a pretty fun conversation on our forum about this. I say it's fun. There's probably only a 10 posts and three of them are from me, but um, it's a really interesting conversation to have um, in regard to, kind of postulating or speculating is the proper term. Did Fidel ever really have pure intentions? If he did, when did they change? I think that we'd all agree that at the, the, well, even the, the mid stages of his, uh, uh, of his political career, they probably were not pure any longer. I, I think that that, that topic is interesting when you look at it with, the facts that we do have and keep them in mind. Um, he's such a polarizing and interesting and charismatic figure in history that I just can't help but think regardless of your personal feelings towards him, you can't help but be objective and realize that he is interesting. And in his death, if we, if we think of nothing else, if we are able to keep ourselves from remembering all the negative, maybe we can maybe we can also sit back and say, huh, I'm really surprised by that, or huh, I can't believe that was able to be accomplished. 
Um, it's it's just fun to look through that lens as well. And I know it, it may be crass or it may be um, poor manners by some uh, or thought of to be poor manners by some to overlook the negative things that he did. But uh, when looking back on one's life, I think that you take the good with the bad and you review both together at times and independent at times. And uh, that's been interesting for me to do. Um, It's been fun for me to do. My family comes from Cuba. My family comes from Cuba prior to Castro's revolution, but there were ties to Cuba after that. Um, And there's certainly opinion and education and um, Oh, what's the word acquaintances that we've kept that uh, offer up a different and an interesting perspective. So I challenge you all to do the same. I know the news story has died down in, in this, this age when, uh, you know, news is at a moment's notice, it's shared almost immediately. And most certainly we uh, are happy to have that next story come. Um, This is one that I kind of implore you to give a second thought to it's, it's something that I don't think you'll rehash what you've already discussed if you get into again, because there is just so much. I think I saw a statistic, 600 assassination attempts against Fidel Castro. Yeah, it was some outrageous number. I, I can't imagine there's not, there's not some interesting novel about just one of those. It's... Uh, it's it's a pretty interesting topic of conversation if you can have it academically. Um, and we don't need to get into the political side of it. We don't need to talk about um, the individual stories because, quite frankly, there are too many to only pinpoint a few of them on. There's so many families that have been devastated. And, hell, you want to bring this back to cigars? So many cigar manufacturers that have been alienated and forced to start over with nothing but a little hammer, you know, and you, uh, what I hope is that you may see someone who goes to some of those that were truly impacted in this cigar industry. And perhaps we see a little more, you know, they may not want to talk about it, but there may be some who do. We lost one this year. I believe it was this year that Carlos senior, uh, died. Now I, know that he wasn't necessarily a uh, uh, an expat in terms of is expat a term you can use when talking about other countries? I, I believe they refer to themselves as exiles. Exiles, okay. I was, but no, no, the Fuente family left Cuba in eighteen ninety eight or somewhere around. I was going to say many generations prior to. Okay, yeah. Carlos Senior was born and raised in the U.S. Um, Tampa. I, uh, I'm sure that without question, there are stories out there in the industry that, uh, I would like it if someone told very much, mm-hmm. very much. Do you know Castro, Castro's tie to this country? He went to law school at NY- NYU. No, no, this country, Dominican Republic. Oh, the Dominican. No, I don't. Um, Trujillo whose name people here still speak in hushed tones. Um, I know a couple of folks that lived under him and still 
quiet. Um, he was a dictator here. And in the late 50s, there were people that were exiled from the Dominican Republic, and they had gathered funds and resources and things and all met up June the 14th in Cuba and took some guerrilla warfare training under Castro's tutelage and tried to come back here and overthrow Trujillo. Huh. It's called the June 14th movement. And it was, I even only came across this um, uh, story because we were in Costanza, which is uh, kind of a bowl in the caldera almost even because it has mountains all around this little town that is incredibly fertile. I mean, every square inch is growing something there because all the soil has gathered in the bottom coming off the mountains. Um, and it's an amazing place to grow food crops. And you, when you drive up there, that's all it is now. But they have an, an airstrip. And it is as interior center of this country as you can get. And these these folks flew into Costanza from Cuba and tried to land as well in Maimon, which is on the north coast, north north of me. It's where I drive across to go to the beach, actually, if I ever go again, um, and tried to make a landing there. And they were they were put down. Trujillo had a, a pretty sizable force. But they managed to plant the seeds that grew into enough of a rebellion and uprising that eventually led to Trujillo's assassination. No joke. Yeah. What year was this? Do you know? Approximately. 1959. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was it was that soon after. Yeah. June 14th, 1959 was when they first gathered up and that, that they took that name. That's, it was called the June 14th Movement. Well, in Spanish. 26th of July movement, yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. I I did not know that. Um, I did know that the the I won't say the intention. The original dream was that all of Latin America was to be spread with the communists. Um, oh, there was a, a term for it. It wasn't the communist rebellion it was the communist awakening or something along those lines um yeah. and che Guevara, uh who was instrumental in castro's revolution went on um obviously without fidel uh and the 26th of july movement um to bolivia i believe bolivia yeah that sounds good and he was then killed in his attempt to spread communism to his native Bolivia um, and uh, was obviously unsuccessful. But the, oh gosh, I was going to say the Aaron Sorkin movie, and that is not correct. It's not Aaron Sorkin. Um, the movie Che that came out half dozen years ago, I'd guess, was really an interesting study on... Castro, the Cuban Revolution, um, Che Guevara as as a man, um, and it it was an act of fiction. There's no doubt about it, or based on a true story, but certainly not true one hundred percent. I mean, no film is. Um, but there were a lot of things in there that were brought up that were um, 
how do I put this? The research revealed certain things or tendencies or implied certain likenesses, let's say. Um, and one of the most interesting to me was the the separation between uh, <clears throat> Che and Fidel that Fidel had essentially, or I should say, the implication was that Fidel's goal was to bring this this um, intention, this goal to all of Central America or Latin America. And then he backed out of it as Cuba required more of his attention. Um, and then that's why Che went on on his own. That was the original intention uh, to bring it elsewhere. And uh, it just wasn't followed through completely. That that the way those conversations played out, not just in the film, but in some of the supplemental um, things that you can find in regard to that research was just fascinating, truly fascinating. And if you're a fan of history and a fan of Cuban revolution and um, gosh, who the heck did that movie? It's a name we all know. I, I've, I got to look that up. Uh, if you're a fan of this director as well, it's, it's an interesting watch. Um, it's in two parts. It's five hours long, four hours long, something like that. Um, and the second half, which focuses more solely on Che separated from Fidel, um, uh, it, it, I don't want to say it drags, but it's much more um, devoted to the his, history of it than Steven Soderbergh did the movie. There it is. Uh, than the education solely of it. And uh, it's worth it's worth spending a couple hours on, I'd say a few hours on really. Yeah. I keep meaning to find some resources <clears throat> with, with the Dominican tie even because the sixties were a rough time here. They, it kind of culminated in 65 or 66. There was a civil war. Um, <laughs> a big uprising that had a lot of loss of life, including American troops. Cause the U.S. and the OAS groups actually ended up occupying this country again. The U.S. has occupied the Dominican Republic two or three times in the past hundred years. Huh. And that was one of them was the Civil War. And well, it was 65 or 66. I'm not sure what year it was. Hmm. I didn't I didn't know that. You. It sounds like the sort of thing that you may have told me in the past but I definitely don't remember it now. Uh, yeah. I have not educated myself on it the way I should, but I'll get around to it one day. Hmm. We're way off cigars at this point. Aren't we? Holy crap. Are we off cigars? Yeah. <laughs> what do we got to say about this one? We're smoking. You know, I'll tell you what we got to say about this one. I think that it has suffered exactly what you feared that it may it has overheated a touch. It's not as flavorful as it was in the first third. And I can't quite say that that's because the blend has done that, has changed. I think it has more to do with the fact that it's not as forgiving of, uh, uh, of a cigar. It, it's, it's just not able to stay with you as you are trying to uh, smoke it the way you'd like. You need to smoke it the way it would like right i can i can see that i will say is as far as the flavors go i I don't think maybe it's seemed as washed out as i was expecting 
um, in my head, it, it was going to be, when we talked about it earlier, it was going to be that kind of cigar. It's kind of watered down as you were talking about. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been that way. I'm actually getting some tingling kind of spice on the soft palate that I don't normally get with La Florida Minicana. Uh, it was kind of a surprise. It's pleasant enough. It's not, it actually is very pleasant. I like this more than many La Florida Minicanas I've had in the past. He, even with the somewhat muted flavors and cigars over a year and a half old now, right at it. So it's probably not going to get anything back in the future. So if somebody out there is holding on to a few of them, you might want to go ahead and start firing them up. Hmm. I, I still taste what it was in its first third. I feel like it's not, I, I don't know. I feel like it's just not at its best. It's not ashen. It's not lost. It's just also not not performing as well as it should, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm getting, I'm not, I'm not surprised. I am surprised. I was not expecting this, this little bit of spice. I really feel that more than taste it. And I'm, I'm calling it spice. It's not a good word because it's more of a felt perceived tingle than an actual flavor of something. But the flavor is more woodsy than I would have expected from from La Florida Minicana as well. Kind of a charred oak kind of flavor to me, hmm. which I I tend to appreciate. Yeah, I don't don't know that I would go hunt these down and try to buy them today, but I'm I'm not regretting it. <laughs> That's a glowing endorsement in it. Well, I don't regret it. But <laughs> Yeah, I gotta say that was a pretty crappy endorsement, if I can say so myself. Um, it didn't. It wasn't supposed to be. Uh, <laughs> I'm enjoying the cigar enough. It's not my favorite Lafleur Minicana, but it, I, it it's in the top few probably. I'm I'm digging it enough. What do I What do I say here? Um, this is a cigar that I look forward to having again. Now, it's probably not a cigar I'll be able to have again. But the point of that is is more that I feel like there are cigars for smoking on a golf course when you want a companion, and there are cigars for sitting down in a room by yourself, lighting up, and paying attention. And this is one of those cigars. Now, it's not incredibly complex. I, I would do that sort of a thing with a cigar that's 20 years old. I would not want to smoke it on a golf course. I would want to smoke it when I can pay attention because there's so much going on. That's not so much the case here. There's just, there's the reward I would feel that you're going to be able to experience when you end up having this cigar at its best. And if you're doing what I'm doing now, having hosting a podcast and talking and laughing and having to relight this cigar, um, you're going to pay for it. Now, is it is it is it worth it? Do you want to have to work for a cigar that you're going to finish at its best and say, yeah, that was a good cigar? I, I, you know, um, 
it's not worth it for someone like me who doesn't smoke too terribly many cigars in winter and who isn't someone who tries to seek out new, different, rare stuff. Um, but if this cigar came my way, I'd be interested in being able to give it another try. Really interested. So, does that make sense? It does. I actually have see that Corona cigar in Florida still has these. Oh, well, there you go. For original retail price. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. They have everything. And they have a lot of everything still. Yeah. I mean, I remember 10 years or more ago, they their claim to fame was they had like two and a half to three million cigars in stock at any given time. Jeez. How do you have... How do you have 15 million bucks just sitting on a shelf? <laughs> I, I don't know, because Borshewitz started that company out of a spare room in his house doing mail order stuff with, like, nothing. And not until, like, late 90s, 97, 98, when he started that company. That's just nutty. Nutty, yeah. I tell you. Yeah. Now he's got four locations, three Coronas, and then the Davidoff Lounge in Tampa now. And tied to Drew Estate and glad handing with uh, Rudy Giuliani and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think their stores, one is a Diamond Crown Lounge, one I believe is, is a Drew Estate Lounge. I don't believe, I know it is. And then the Davidoff store, I don't know. The third one is a lounge of some kind, I don't remember what it is. Um, he is like, tight with avo real tight with avo that, that's like avo's home shop you can run into him there on occasion hmm. anyway we're off track again what else you been smoking <laughs> lately you know i uh i haven't had a whole uh terribly large amount of cigars recently but i've had a few but a few fun ones uh three that i want to talk about here now i don't think that I talked about this one on the show last time because for some reason I feel like we dropped our what else we've been smoking but I know I talked about it on the forum um, I had the opportunity to have yet another of the Perdomo Lot 23's um, if you remember I'm going to guess four months ago maybe the end of summer middle Un of summer unbanded from D.C. That's correct. I do remember that. I remember being far and away pleasantly surprised with that cigar. And when it was unveiled, being in utter disbelief because I did not remember enjoying that cigar as much as I did that night. Well, I somehow ended up with uh, a fair amount. Of, well, not a fair amount. Half a dozen of these. I don't know if DC sent me a package. I don't know if after that show I went out and bought some. I don't know if I had some sitting in my humidor. But I had a number of these, and I I lit one up, and you know, uh, purest be damned, I smoked it in the car. I I loved it. Again, I I really like that cigar. Now, what I will say is that it's fragile. It is a cigar that you probably shouldn't smoke in the in the the car. Excuse me. It's a lot like this cigar. 
he can be really damn good. There's no doubt about it. But do you want to sit down and have to pay attention to a cigar to have a cigar that's really good? Or do you just want to have a setting when you can have a no-nonsense stick like a Quesada España or an Origins Original, a $3.75 cigar that is unmolded that you get out of a paper pack that you know is just going to be killer? I... I loved the Lot 23 Habano. Um, that was what this wrapper was. I think it's Habano. I don't think they call it natural. I think they call it Habano. This was not the Maduro. I know that. Um, I thought it was great. I thought that there were flaws. I thought that it needed a little bit more time to settle down. I thought that the wrapper was too fragile. I had a lot of things that I thought could have been better. But I go back to the fact that it tasted great. It was that... I'll say typical, but that's not a detriment. It's not typical in the sense that it's boring. It's typical in the sense that when you're reaching for the sweet citrus tobacco core, a little bit of of spiciness in there, when you're reaching for a cigar that just kind of hits home to that, that flavor that you can go back to and feel like you're slipping on a comfy broken in pair of jeans, this cigar has that that potential, but hmm. it <laughs> it's like that broken in pair of jeans that you spent two hundred and fifty dollars on. You, you there's something there that really isn't right. Yeah, it feels great. Yeah, it's comfortable, but is it really worth the work that it took to get it? I don't know about that. Uh, I'm happy I got some of my humidor. I'm not so sure that I want to make this a cigar that I go to all the time. Yeah, that was, just as a side note, that was episode 144 for May the 6th of this year. Wow, that was that long ago. Seven months. Six months. See? Say. Seven months, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's one that I had. What about you? You got some new ones? Well, I see... I, I did. I saved these from last time because we went pretty long last show and didn't get to it. Uh, there's a new brand here. Um, new brand entirely. I, and I also think it is it, it is now available in the U.S. And it's just called 7-7 Cigars. And I picked up a couple of them. I got um, they have three or four different lines and I got two. I got the Sumatra and the Abano. The, uh, and I'm just doing these two together. The uh, Sumatran has an Ecuadorian Sumatran wrapper, Criollo 98 binder. Surprise, surprise. Piloto Cubano, Nicaraguan, and Criollo 98 fillers. Um, the Abano had a Abano wrapper, of course, Criollo 98 binder. And again, Piloto Cubano, uh, Nicaraguan, and Criollo 98 fillers. So it sounds like same same cigar internally with a different wrapper. Um, I enjoyed both cigars in their flavor. I enjoyed the flavor of both cigars, but they were both very strong. I mean, just kicked my teeth in. Um, that's what you've been saying, right? Kick your teeth. Yeah, kick your teeth in. Uh, uh, just pounded me with their strength. And, and admittedly, I am a total nicotine wuss. I, I, I 
I don't do well with large doses of nicotine. I get dizzy and cold sweats and the whole spiel. Yeah. Um, I did find the Sumatra to be a little bit milder and in its flavors. So they were a little bit more subdued than the Bono, but still 100% is potent. Um, the Bono, it actually, I put in the notes, it had an occasional crispness. It was almost the kind of sharp, crispy Connecticut flavor, the kind of flavor that what you get from some Connecticut wrappers is what it actually, which was foreign to me with an Abano wrapper, but that's, that's what I thought of it. Um, but generally it had a lot of, um, chocolate, but dark chocolate, not the overly sweet milk chocolate kind of thing that, you know, I, I enjoy dark chocolate and I enjoyed that cigar, the, the Abano in particular, but, uh, they were just too, too strong for me to go reach for them regularly. And, I don't. I would not have an aversion to picking them up again at some point, but it's not something I could just hop out of bed in the morning and light up. It would kill me. Hmm. I just don't like cigars that do that to me either. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't enjoy the the feeling. It's not. You know, some people talk about it as if it's kind of like a a buzz. Even it's not that at all for me. It's it's dizziness and cold sweats. And yeah, discomfort. I, I, it's just not my groove. I pardon me, yawn there. I I couldn't agree with you more. It's the farthest thing from an enjoyable feeling. I I, I can imagine that I will experience on a regular basis. Um, I don't I don't get it. I, I, I don't either. And more power to the folks that that do. It's just not my thing. But it, I can't for the life of me, can't figure out uh, our body's ability to uh, metabolize nicotine. I can smoke a very strong cigar, and if I'm still smoking it and I start to feel dizzy, I'm going to be dizzy for the next half hour after I put it down. Hmm. But it's insane. There are cigars that seem like they just pull nicotine out of you. I can... There are certain cigars I could have to put down a strong one and immediately light up that other cigar and feel just fine. I can't, I can't put the pieces together how that works. <laughs> it's like, it's like a transfusion or something. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I, we know that uh, that nicotine sickness comes essentially through a manipulation of your blood sugar. So uh, could it? Could it have something to do with that next cigar you smoke um, having the opposite effect on your blood sugar? You know, I don't, I don't know how that would work, but I mean, that sounds like a very viable uh, hypothesis to make. Yeah. I don't know. The last one I remember like that was the um, Flor de Oliva, the little bundled cigar. Oh yeah. That, Oliva makes they're extremely mild, but I can light one of those up after a just kick you in the pants cigar and no problem at all. And I, I feels like I even improve, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't get it. That's well, why. I'm, <laughs> that's why I'm not a physiologist. <laughs> oh, that is the only reason. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that and this missionary thing pays so well. Why would I be a physiologist? <laughs> well, I uh, um, 
I had uh, another cigar to share here that I haven't had before. It's an interesting one. Um, well, I guess, you know, I have had that lot 23 before, but it's not a regular smoke for me. I'll put it that way. Um, oh, uh, a, a friend of mine, a friend of the show was in Cuba, Mr. Adam, uh, otherwise known as Zedman. He was recording with us on the last episode. Um, and he was kind enough to send me uh, a custom cigar, the custom roller out of Cuba that's going by the name Alfonso. Um, I had uh, received a package from him with a Corona uh, in it, and I thought it was an interesting cigar. I hadn't been familiar with that name of roller and wanted to give it a shot. It's a good cigar, very typically Cuban. Um, not too terribly much to write home about. Now, incredibly young. It was rolled last month. Tasted as if it was starting to dive into a bit of sickness. Um, but it did have good flavor there. Now, the interesting part about this cigar, I had it before the show, actually, was not so much that the cigar tasted a certain way or looked a certain way. It was that this was a Corona. It also at one time was a petite Corona. I, 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 you got to stick with me on this one because it's very strange. This is the only occurrence I have ever had of a cigar that was rolled as one size and then had additional tobacco added to it to make it a slightly longer size. So I didn't measure this before um, I lit it up, but a typical Cuban Corona is 42 by five and uh, five eighths, I believe. Five and a half, five and five eighths. I don't remember exactly. Um, this cigar was probably somewhere around there. Could have been a little bit shorter, actually. It doesn't doesn't stand out in my mind as to being a complete Corona Vitola size, but it was labeled as such. I cut the cigar, lit it. It's a little bit tight. You know, not nothing bad. It just I felt it as if it was slightly restricted. Um, I'm not a huge smoker with a cigar in my mouth, but when I'm doing show prep, which I was while I had this cigar, I'll hold it in my mouth so I can type. I started noticing that I was I was biting into the cigar a considerable amount. So, like, if you have ever had a cigar that is incredibly humidified or is very fresh, you know that it's typically very squishy, um, and you can you can basically without even trying bite the head of that cigar down to almost a flat um, version of itself. Well, that was happening on this cigar. It was, it was compressing, but the, it was compressing a lot. But the thing was, is that the cigar was not a soft cigar. I could squeeze it and it, I mean, it almost felt overfilled. Um, it almost felt a little plugged by the, by the actual, uh, uh, density of it. Um, but then I, I realized that I was biting and I wasn't just compressing this cigar. It was like my teeth were going through the cigar. And so I, I looked at it and I took it out and I, I looked at the head and I kind of gave it a little bit of a, a squeeze and a little bit of a nudge and like a plug, like a, a quarter inch or a three eighths inch little plug pulled up. It like opened like a hatch off the head of this cigar. And I realized 
that it was a petite Corona that had additional tobacco added to it to make it this Corona-like, this approximate Corona-like. This this was the director's cut <laughs> bonus yeah, footage. Yeah. That's, that's a great analogy. But then the cigar was rewrapped again. So it had two wrapper leaves. The first wrapper leaf went on the Petite Corona. This, But there was no cap on the Petite Corona. This plug was added to the head, and it was wrapped again, and it looked perfect. It didn't at all look as if it was as if it was, uh, you know, kind of a, a lumpy, odd-shaped uh, finished cigar. So it had two wrapper leaves. The one wrapper leaf was holding this this plug onto the main version of the cigar, um, and I was able to peel that off. And then I had, you know, three-eighths inch of, like, shaggy excess wrapper on the head. So I cut the cigar now below the shoulder of what was the original cigar, and I kept smoking it from there. I've never had anything like that before. It was a fine cigar, but the novelty of that experience was just second to none. It really was. I, I took some pictures. I'll see if I can get them transferred off my phone and get them onto the, the forum on halfash.com. But uh, really, really interesting. I've never experienced that. Yeah, definitely put those pictures up because I've never seen anything like that either. Are there... Uh, they're not the best pictures, but I mean, they are me with my phone snapping shots in my studio. So I think I got three of them. <laughs> I've, I've been smoking cigars 22 years. And most of those years, a lot of cigars. And I've never seen anything like that. Huh. I mean, yeah. some, Somebody a couple of years ago made that gimmicky cigar where they rolled a cigar and then rolled that cigar into a bigger cigar, like inside. Oh, yeah, that was uh, Argenti. Mm, okay. I couldn't remember. I, like I remember the Burger, idea, but not who it was. Burger Argenti, I feel like. Okay. Huh. Anyways, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Try to market it like you're buying two cigars. No, you're buying one cigar and one hollow cigar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Well, the only other thing I got on the list is the uh, Skinny Monsters from Tatuaje. I've started smoking through these over the past couple of weeks, and I'm maybe, I don't know, four of them, four or five of them uh, so far. And <clears throat> and I'm, t I'm keeping some short notes and a picture or two here and there with each of them. But um, I only put it in here because it, it's peculiar to me that I think so far the mummy has been my absolute favorite. Uh, none of them have been bad, but that one really stood out. I really, truly enjoyed that cigar. And it was strange because I believe that has been my least favorite in the full-size uh, Halloween series. I, I was not expecting that at all. I was expecting it to be a smaller version of the mummy. But maybe it was. It's been a couple of years since I had a mummy, but uh, that I really liked it. Hmm. It was a nice surprise to smoke something. I thought, okay, this will be good. It's a Tatawahi cigar, but it's not going to be you know, the best of this sample. And so far it has been. Well, I... Uh... I believe that um, – what do I want to say? Um, 
the mummy was the year that I stopped trying to seek out the uh, the monsters. Um, so I don't know if I've ever had a mummy. I don't think that I have actually. Hmm. I don't have any more. I would send you one with Michael when he comes back. Well, it's absolutely unnecessary, but um, yeah, well, it's, it's a moot point because I don't have them. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> well, the the last one that I got on here. Let me get back to my notes. Is uh, kind of an oldie but a goodie. I think that this cigar started out as an unbanded on Dog Watch, if I Ooh. remember correctly. Wow. And, and uh, I discovered it. I was very, very, very um, happy to have eaten crow uh, because this. I think this is a general product. Punch is general, correct? Yeah. Um, so this is the Punch London Club Maduro. Um, uh, there are a number of the different uh, named Punch cigars that are good. There's the, I think, the After Dinner and the London Club and and a number of different ones that kind of have different kind of gimmicky names. Um, and I remember having one of these as an unbanded on Dog Watch and being blown away by how enjoyable it was. Um, with those kind of new school Nicaraguan flavors, I think was that was may have been when I kind of coined coined that phrase. Um, and if I remember right, I I don't know if I was just sent these by DC out of the blue or if these were an unbanded on half ashed as well. Um, but nevertheless, for some reason, uh, I acquired some of these as a gift. Someone sent them to me, um, and. You know, uh, they're still not ready. These are good cigars. These are, in fact, these are very good cigars. But when they are fresh, when you just get them and they're still in their cello, they got an edge to them. There's really good flavor there. They're a cigar that, to me, I've, I bet I've had these for a year. They should settle down for more than a year. <laughs> um, the flavor's there. They're, the same cigar, they have the same essence of what they have when they're a little bit more balanced, but they're just, they're too much for me. For somebody who likes punchy, edgy, sharp, um, strong cigars, go for it fresh. But this is a little Corona, um, worth smoking, worth smoking with a little bit more time than I'd given it. Cool. I was busily smoking myself out. No problem. You know, I have noticed the ash in the construction of this cigar in the final third has improved tremendously. I don't, really? Yes. This thing is beautiful. I don't think that I'm going to be able to get you to see this, but I love when you burn a cigar and it just gets those perfect ash striations. Uh-huh. Oh, this one's just got that to a T. It's beautiful. It's it's I don't know. It's easy to to kind of follow how that burn line, that mascara line, is climbing around. It's not razor, but it's as a cigar should be, where it's it's just evenly or consistently burning. Though some areas are slightly higher than others, they're all coming down at the same speed. 
looks beautiful. It's not flaky. The taste is still slightly influenced, but um, I, I'm just going to say that that's not necessarily the cigar's fault. It's just a characteristic of the cigar. So, Yeah, mine um, flavors remain pretty consistent throughout with this woodsy kind of flavor that I wasn't expecting, although the sweetness has died out considerably. It's all but going. Um, but the and the construction's been good, very good. I, I can't complain about anything. But I have noticed the I just had to touch it up. The burn line has wondered more in this final third than it did huh. earlier. Although it seems to be burning quicker. It's 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 I mean, I haven't puffed off this thing in a couple minutes now and it's still just smoking like it like I just did. Well, I uh, I don't know. Are we are we ready to to wrap this Joker up, or are we thinking no? I think so. It's twenty to one here. <laughs> I ain't going nowhere though. I ain't got anything else to talk about. Uh, you don't got to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> I uh, I all right. Cocoa, coffee, chalky, mineral type flavors. A little bit of like a. I, I definitely don't get a charred oak, but I I think that I'm getting more of like a a subtle cedar flavor. There's definitely a woody woodsiness to it, um, but it's not deep smoky barbecue hardwood um, woodsy. Um, I like it. It's just. I don't know, to, to try to bookend the early conversation I had where I felt as if the cigar was, um, I don't want to say watered down, but like when you put cream in coffee, it's still coffee. It's just now become something that is slightly masked, though it's not masked in a bad way where it makes it taste like crap. It's just different. It's still like that. And I think now that I can now I can pinpoint that a little more of saying that I'm noticing it more on the finish. I'm expecting this profile of this cigar to have a harder finish, to have that, that almost bite that, that sharpness, but not in a Connecticut sharpness sort of way, the sharpness as in it has power to it. And you get that on the finish. This cigar doesn't have it. I'm expecting it based on how the flavors come through. Wondering a year and a half ago, did this cigar have more of that oomph that has blended a little? Now I smoked the the other sample of this shortly after I received it, so a year, a little more than a year ago, and my takeaway was that it was not an overly memorable cigar. My takeaway was not that it was incredibly strong, and my takeaway was not that it was good flavors, but it felt watered down. My takeaway was that it was just not memorable. So at some point between release in in May, June of 2015 and smoking at Christmas of 2016, did these transition? And did I smoke this during that transition last time? It's reasonable to think. Um I like the cigar. I enjoy what it is now. I feel like I owe it another attempt in proper settings to figure out 
really a true review of it. Now, are we hardcore serious cigar reviewers? No, we're half-ashed. We do everything halfway. Now, I don't know. It would be fun to find that out out of intrigue, though I don't quite know if even at its best this cigar would be worth it if you're somebody who doesn't really enjoy LFD, want to expand your palate with as many of their offerings as you can, or, heck, are you just somebody who really enjoys um, reviewing cigars? Then maybe give it a shot. See? Oh, that was Kip's wrap-up. I'm getting a lot of echo. I'm trying, trying to talk so quietly tonight. I hear my own voice coming back. Uh, I just hear the yapping uh, dog down the street. Yeah, there's a pissed off chihuahua somewhere in this neighborhood. <laughs> the uh, what you mentioned with the coffee and the cocoa and all brought something out of my mind. There's a brand of coffee here called Monte Real, and you only can get it espresso ground. You can't buy beans or anything. And I believe they put cocoa into it. I believe there's a small amount of cocoa because it has a distinct coffee, a distinct, distinct chocolatey kind of flavor to it. And I can kind of see that. I, I guess I hadn't really pieced that together. But when you spoke those words, it brought that to mind. And that is kind of what it reminds me of, especially earlier on when it was more sweet. You uh, um, you sent me the Monterreal, and I I loved it. I mean, I loved it. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I, we have Grecas here, which are a Bialetti maker just made inexpensively by somebody other than Bialetti. It's the exact same piece of equipment. And that's what this entire country uses to make coffee. If you want a drip maker, forget about it. <laughs> you don't see those hardly at all. We have one, but we brought it with us from the state. Um, but that's what it's good for. Now, now, in the compo with the people we work with that grow coffee around the house and they grow cacao as well, they have pilones, which are uh, kind of imagine a mortar and pestle, but made from a tree stump. They're they're huge. They're, you know, Huh. 16 or 18 inches in diameter and a couple of feet tall. And they just pound the coffee beans or the cacao, whatever you call those, the little beans that come out of the pot. Huh. And that's how they grind coffee. And that's how they, they pound the cacao beans into what's kind of like a really dense paste and just wad it up into a ball about half the size of a baseball. And it just its own, oils or whatever bind it together and they shave that into their coffee when they put it into the, the maker and they just shave a little bit on top of it and I like that a lot too and they do that with cacao and it's essentially 100% dark chocolate there's nothing, no sugar, nothing it's just ground cacao and they, um, they also use nutmeg and I've taken to do that and I don't like nutmeg in large amounts, it's just too much for me. But I, I have a little grater, and I keep a couple of nuts of nutmeg around, and just grate a little dash of that on top of the coffee grounds, and then heat it up. And I like that a lot too. Hmm. I would have never thought to have done that. I've done uh, cinnamon in coffee before. My mom loved, well, and Ellie, but 
that's a whole other story. Ellie likes uh, coffee with her cream. Um, that's Christy. My my mom likes. Uh, my dad always called it femme coffee. Uh, you know, cinnamon and caramel and all that stuff. I, yeah. Twenty five years ago, when she worked at a coffee shop, she'd bring hazelnut and whatever other funky flavored coffees home and make the house smell like crap. <laughs> well, this, I never was a flavored coffee guy and just plain black coffee. I never used sugar, creamer, nothing till we came here and you can't hardly get coffee without some amount of sugar in it. Um, but I, hanging out with the people in the mountains with the nutmeg, I picked that up and I, <laughs> it doesn't take much. I mean, just, just a, tiny little little bit on the grounds in the if you have a bialetti same kind of thing just on the grounds it's fantastic hmm. well i might do that i uh although all my coffee is at work i think i finished my other coffee but anyways i uh i'm more than happy to try that hey speaking of coffee you've been watching uh what our buddy colin is is doing now uh, you know, I got into a little bit of that, that he's got a, uh, a coffee berry tea out there. Yeah, I am completely intrigued and I, I'm going to try that because it's that time of year when I could probably get my hands on some coffee cherries. <laughs> huh. I need some I, to find out how. I, I think that that is kind of a proprietary thing for them. So I'm not exactly sure you're going to get a clear answer from Colin. Well, okay. I I took that from his post, but just Googling coffee cherry tea turned up a lot of results from all over the place. It's, it's a fairly popular drink around the world. No joke. I had no idea. I didn't either until I Googled it. I huh. go- Googled it. The Google. It's everything we want it to be. Huh. Well, I had... I had no idea that it uh, that it was until he put something on Facebook about it. It even has its own Wikipedia entry. Well, it's got to be true then. Yeah. It, it's also called cascara, which means the shell or the husk of the, the bean, <laughs> the cherry. Mm. Oh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. We're going to wrap up, but I opened up this Wikipedia page and Coffee cherry tea is an herbal tea made from dried berries or cherries of the coffee plant, also known as cascara from the Spanish cascara, meaning husk. It is different from cascara sagrada tea, which is a powerful plant-based laxative. Apparently, it says it's rarely produced for export it's not normally done commercially maybe colin that's his thing is doing it on a bigger scale it says but it's commonly drank in some co- coffee growing nations notably bolivia and kish kisher and i don't know how you say that in yemen hmm. i can't say that i know either hmm. well mixed with sticks of cinnamon <laughs> For more of that femme coffee. I reckon I can't drink it now. <laughs> well, I'll we, just well uh, drink cherry ruibus. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
I, uh, I'd say we have sufficiently wound down. I'm starting to get tired. It's 11 o'clock here. I can only imagine how you are at 1 o'clock. We've closed out the cigar, talked about what else we've had, and uh, enlightened everyone with the news story. So you want to uh, start the wind-down process, my man? Absolutely. Folks, as always, we appreciate you tuning in and uh, hanging out with us, whether it's here live tonight or somewhere down the road through the vast reaches of the interwebs. Uh, if you come back next time for episode 158, we'll be smoking the caucus, which is a house blend for Georgetown Tobacconist. Is that their name? Georgetown. Yes. Yes, um, it is. And uh, if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, you can get us at Craig at halfashed.com or Kip at halfashed.com. Or, of course, find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All those things are available on the website at halfashed.com. And, of course, the forum as well, where there's a handful of us hanging out and having fun poking fun at each other anyway. So, uh, well, mostly get... poking fun at me, let's be honest. Well, it just happens. <laughs> Easily too. <laughs> Suddenly and without mercy. <laughs> well, as always, folks, we uh, we appreciate you giving us some time this evening. We're on an off night. It's been three weeks since our last record. So, those of you live, uh, I just saw Andex was in the chat. I appreciate that. I know that uh, Kip does as well. And those of you catching us on the podcast recording, we. Uh, Hope you uh, hope you enjoyed this one, and uh, we'll stick around for the next. So, want to always remind everybody that halfash.com with our forum is uh, is a fun place. As Kip had said, uh, join us. It's always it's always a fun time around the holidays. It gets a little touchy feely, mushy, and we all talk about how much we want to sing Kumbaya. So, it's a good place. I invite you to come become part of the crew. It's uh, Good group of guys, good cigar talk, good life talk, good uh, overall gentle uh, uh, beating of friends and uh, whatever else good stuff Kip said. It's it's a good place for you to come and, uh, and join us. But, you know, tonight I guess the last thing that I want to say, as always and as is always deserved, good night, everybody, and thank you. Thank you, thank you for listening.